Brothers, 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 grace and peace. Good to see everybody today. Um, hope everybody is doing well. Uh, we are going to uh, begin uh, the home stretch today. We are in Mark chapter 15. Kurt convinced me yesterday he's already done chapter 16 of Mark. Is that true? A part of it. All right, because there's just a there's just a little bit of it, really. Uh, the rest of the end is probably not original. It's probably tagged on, and I think he he already went over that. So we're on the home stretch. Um, Want to begin with a good quiz for you today? What is the most often quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament? Go. Huh? What'd you say? No, no, no. The book. Old Testament book. Anybody? Proverbs. Gary says Proverbs. Isaiah. Tom says Isaiah. Who said Psalms? All the people that said Psalms at the same time. That is correct. That's not really what I wanted you to know, though. Even though I wanted you to know that. Second most often um, quoted book in the New Testament of the Old. Isaiah. Isaiah. It's really close. There's only about five more psalm quotations than the book of Isaiah. But it should just make you pause and just ask yourself the question, why? I mean, boy, the psalms are just really, really central to a Jewish life in the first century. And uh, that makes makes all sorts of sense. But then you have to ask yourself about Isaiah. And Isaiah is really, really long. It's 66 chapters. Now, those chapters uh, got added, golly, maybe in the 1400s. The chapters and the verses maybe somewhere in there. Somebody might can look that up. It might have been earlier than that. But it's way late. It's not anywhere close to being original. But what does 66 do for you? Anybody? Well, almost, yeah. That's how many books are in the Bible. Um, so how many of those are in the Old Testament? Forty. New Testament? Twenty-seven. No, sorry. Old Testament thirty. Old Testament's 39. New Testament is 27. Now when you turn to Isaiah chapter 40, this is all free, by the way, uh, when you turn to Isaiah chapter 40, that is the main break in the book of Isaiah. What's the first word of Isaiah 40? Comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. So the first 39 books it is primarily focused on judgment and exile and pain. The last 27 books are focused on hope. And restoration. So whoever was whoever was uh, doing all of the versing and the chaptering of Isaiah, they knew this, and that's why they did it the way they did. In some ways, Isaiah becomes representative of the whole scripture. And when we get into, uh, I mean, the the New Testament writers just leaned heavily into this reality of judgment and restoration, and that Jesus indeed was bringing restoration for Israel and the nations, right? And so, uh, in lieu of that, and in lieu of what we're going to be, 
or in light of, in light of what we're going to be studying today, I'm going to read from Saul, from Isaiah 53, and you'll you'll get the get the reference as we uh, carry on through this. Let's pray together. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace, brought us peace, was on him, by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. So Lord, as we gather here today, we are grateful for your word. And we are grateful for the opportunity to gather as brothers to hear, to trust in, and to put into practice that which we read and learn about today. Lord, may this moment, these moments that we spend together be a means of your transformative grace being released in our lives for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So you can hear all sorts of allusions to what has happened in the story so far and what will happen um, in the next uh, few hours uh, from Mark 15 forward. Um, that word that stuck out to me as we were, as I was reading that, was uh, the, the word pain. And let's just reflect for a minute the types of pain that since the upper room, since they left the upper room, Jesus has experienced. Um, just fire them out. Mental. It, it, yeah, in what way? Being uh, dragged around, being beaten up. Beaten well, it hadn't, it, that hadn't quite happened yet. Oh. So, that's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, it, it's like these people that he'd been with for these three plus years... Uh, they're bailing on him left and right. And even before they bailed on him, they were bailing on him because he was asleep, right? In his most uh, desperate moment, they are sleeping. Their eyes are closed. 
They don't, they're not recognizing what is happening. One of the things that these, these stories are supposed to do, they're to invite us to find our place in the story. Right? And who, who do we most at this moment in our life and in our relationship with God, who, who do we most kind of resonate with? And well, if you're able to be honest about that between you and uh, God and even others, man, just a lot of opportunity for growth can, can happen there. Yeah. So there's a lot of pain from, from, um, uh, his friends, his disciples, a lot of pain from the leaders. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he uh, he got they blindfolded him. This is the, this is his fellow Jews. They blindfolded him and they beat, they started hitting him. And so and they said, if you're a prophet, basically, you should know who hit you, right? How painful that must have been. Uh, if you go back, you know he weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. That's the main reason why these religious leaders are incensed with Jesus, is that he is setting himself up to be a prophet, and they believe him to be a false prophet, and that in their mind is worthy of death. I think fear would be another one. Say that again? I think fear would be another one on Jesus. Yeah, when he was in the garden, what was coming forward, good. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, so it's these people closest to him. It's his, it is his spiritual family, uh, the leaders of his spiritual, spiritual community, the leaders of the Jews. And now, uh, pain is going to be inflicted by the pagans, uh, by the Romans. And one of the things I want you to look at, look at as we go through this, I'm going to read through it. And I just want you to notice what sticks out to you. Notice what is repeated most of all. It's really important. And um, notice the motivation of the different people and the different groups that are represented in this part of the story. All right, that's a lot. You with me, Cade? Ready? All right, here we go. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowds to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. 
But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. All right. So we already have learned what the motivation, I think, of the religious leaders. That's that's a good way to to describe them, uh, the Jewish religious leaders of um, the, uh, here in the in the text. What their motivation of having Jesus eliminated was um, false prophet, something that they highly highly valued. He was a threat to it. The whole temple, the whole temple system, it was their identity. And he's saying things, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. And they were so blind, they didn't recognize that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about himself, right? So any questions kind of on the motivations of the religious leaders here? projection. Okay, yeah. All right. All right, so... They don't have the authority to kill people. But Rome does. So Rome, you know, Palestine, that was the name of the area that eventually Rome would give this neck of the woods. Um, they, uh, like, Pilate is the, the governor of the area. And that is how they sought to maintain control is through these governors. Try, I was trying to think this morning um, what would be the same thing like, uh, yay, you're a governor of fill in the blank of a state in the United States. It's the worst state. California. Well, <laughs> like the most desolate, you know, every state has, has its beautiful places, right? But, you know, it's like... The armpit of armpits. Nobody wanted to be the governor of Palestine. Nobody. It was a stepping stone. But the main role of the governor in Palestine was twofold. You know what they were? Keep the peace and collect taxes. That's it. As long as that's happening, you will eventually get a promotion and you will get out of there. All right. And so the last thing that Pilate would want is for there to be a scene for people to be stirred up. Problem is, is that Jews were renowned for their resistance to Rome. Um, there was only one way, and that was going to be fighting. Now, there was a group, especially the, uh, the Sadducees, that were more about uh, capitulating and more about cooperating with the Romans. Just leave us alone, and we'll 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 keep to ourselves. It's kind of their hopes. Yet they were they were not very committed to God for sure. Uh, and so lots of fighting, very normal. And so in the story there, there's a mention of Barabbas, right? We'll get more to that. But he is. Do you see he how they described him? He was an insurrectionist and a murderer. Why? Well, some, he has a Jewish name, Bar Abbas, means son of the father. Kind of interesting name, right? Bar Abbas, son of the father. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, in the Roman mind, he's the worst. Because he, he, he threatens the status quo. He and these other people. So there are more than just one, there's just more than one person in prison, in Roman prison. There could have been many people. Why do they choose this one? Something to think about. We'll get to it in a second. All right. So you kind of get a sense of what we're dealing with here. How, what is the primary means by which Rome seeks to keep the peace? Power. Power, fear, intimidation. And the great Roman invention of fear and intimidation is crucifixion. crucifixion. So if you were to say, who was crucified in the first century in Rome or, or, or in Israel? What would you say? Jesus. Well, you'd say Jesus, but yeah, he's one of about thousands. This was a regular occurrence for people to walk up uh, outside of cities and to see people hanging on crosses, and they would stay there for it. it what you know, the deal with Jesus, it was it was quick, six hours, and he died. That was very unusual. They would be up there for days. And that was an intimidation tactic. You mess with Rome, this is what happens to you. All right? And so it was not this... It's interesting. You know, a lot of us wear crosses, right? And uh, I don't know if y'all noticed our new cross up front in the sanctuary. Y'all should go check it out. It's amazing. One of our church members made it out of pallets. Out of old pallets. Is there a more fitting way for an altar cross to be made than out of old pallets? That has, that has old nail holes, uh, still in it? It's like, a, it's amazing. That's like, that's getting closer. But, uh, you hear people say, well, well, like the modern day equivalent for us to wear crosses around our neck would be to wear an electric chair. Or a noose. Or, a lethal, a device of lethal injection, right? That that was, so that, that that's so fascinating, right? Of what our symbols become. Uh, and that symbol only can become that through the resurrection. Uh, no doubt about it. So we've got the motivation of the religious leaders. What's Pilate's motivation? As you read that, as we read that together. Keep the peace. Yeah, he. It's in some ways, Pilate tries to get made out to be a good guy. Pilate is no good guy. He is very, very bad, right? Uh, yeah, he he is known for his evil behavior, and so he just wants to tick off the, the, the Jewish leaders. He does not want to do this, but it's the crowds. They're the ones that are primarily his motivation to keep the peace. He doesn't want this on his record, something blowing up in Jerusalem, especially during the Passover. So that, that, that line there at the end is very telling. But they, the crowd, shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. 
Pilate released Barabbas to them. So it's their choice. You know, this is, this is a, uh, evidently this is something that happened every year at Passover. They would release a prisoner to try to keep, keep things, keep everybody happy. And they choose Barabbas. So the guy that, by the language here, literally tried to threaten Rome's rule, I'm willing to release that guy. You got it. Keep the crowd this is dripping with irony. The, the threat, the threat to Rome was not Jesus. The threat to Rome was Barabbas's. The crowd, and I don't think it's it's a stretch. You know, it was a long time ago in this class, but remember the last time we've seen the crowds? It's when Jesus was coming into town. Do what? Yeah, it's, it's it would be most likely Jews that were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. You know, Jerusalem was normally about ten thousand, but it would swell to like a hundred thousand people uh, during the Passover. And so it's when you know Jesus comes into town, what we call Palm Sunday, right? And they are yelling, uh, "Hail, King of the uh, Son of David!" and, and all of those things. Um, and so it's like these same people have changed their mind. Yeah. That's what was throwing me off. Yeah. So you, you have in your mind that Jesus is going to do this, this, and this for me. Jesus is going to do this, this, and this for us. Definitely Peter and Judas and the other disciples had in their mind that they wanted Jesus to be this type of Messiah, this type of Savior, right? One who was going to defeat the Romans. That fundamentally, they believed that their problem was the Romans. And Jesus like, no, 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 no. The problem is sin. The problem is you don't trust me. The problem is you're not listening to the word of God and being the people that God called you to be. That's the problem. Yes, I don't I don't I do not think that that is a stretch at all. That's right. Yes. In the movies and books, it's usually portrayed that they went out and hired agitators to come and do this. Passion of the Christ is a good example yeah. where they're passing out money to come mm-hmm. shout to him. Does the Bible address anywhere else? No, no. But it does it does say that it does say in the text here that the religious leaders went and stirred up the crowds. So that I think that's probably where they're where they're getting that. And so it's not just it's not just the crowds on their own, but it's it is their their leaders uh that are stirring this up. And so y'all have heard me say this before, but I just it's such a it's such a very chilling statement. C.S. Lewis made it. C.S. Lewis said it. Something along these lines. At the end of the day, you are either going to say to God, thy will be done. Or God is going to say to you, thy will be done. Just let that sink in for a second. God is eventually going to give you what you want. 
If you want an insurrectionist that is going to fight Rome tooth and nail, I will give it to you. The people get what they want. You know, it's one thing to see uh, your Messiah coming into town on a donkey, and that would have would have charged them all up if they if they knew the scripture at all, which they did. It's another thing to see your Messiah bound and standing before a Roman governor. And so, I think that's what's happening. So their eyes again are are uh, are messing with them. They're not seeing what Jesus has invited them to see. What about Pilate's wife? I know in a different book, Pilate's wife said that she got this. Yeah. yeah. That's in John. It's interesting. Uh, Barabbas is not, the Barabbas character is not mentioned in Luke. He is in the other three. Uh, John is the one that gives us more of an expanded version of the story that includes Pilate's wife. And she, in a dream, uh, she is warned uh, that, she sh- that he should have nothing to do with this person. And um, he doesn't follow the advice of his wife. Right. That would explain his hesitation, though, because killing Jews wouldn't have been a thing, honestly, like, whatever. I mean, I'm sure whatever. he didn't him at all. Whatever, no. He, he, he did this hundreds of times before. Yeah. Hundreds of times. So this is very, very good point. Uh, Joey, very good point. This is not a not a thing for Pilate, for sure. But the but I think I think the 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 clear teaching here is the crowds get what they want, and I think that that then begs the question for us as we find ourselves in the story, like how is the world going to be set to right? Through fear, intimidation, and violence? Or by laying down your life? The kingdom of God is established by the laying down of one's life. And as we, in the kingdom, this is how we experience life too. We do not have to demand and cajole to get our own way. But we can trust God to lead us and trust God that through love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that the world will be transformed this happened the Roman Empire was transformed not by the end of the spear but by people who faithfully followed a crucified and risen Lord do you have a question? you're good? alright Ed I've read that when the Romans punished you, you either got flogged or crucified, not both. Jesus got both. Well, yeah, uh, I haven't heard that. Um, One thing I have heard is that uh, people would get flogged first to speed up the death on the cross. I mean, you're going to die from from both. There's... From the way in which those whips were constructed, there's no coming back from a flogging, a Roman flogging. Literally, the, your skin on your back was gone. You can't live with that, without skin on your back in the ancient world. No way. 
So, um, I, there, there's so many theories surrounding these things. I don't know if we could for, be for certain for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that was if that was the case. Yes, Jeff. I don't remember. Just a couple of weeks ago, something that stands out to me when Jesus was a couple of chapters, last chapter before the high priest, um, it was an insult to not respond to a question. Like the way that they were trained was to ask questions, reply, and ask questions back. Yes. And and Jesus was silent when he feels like you're not worthy of me answering. And Pilate in this in this uh, portion, all Pilate does is ask questions, and Jesus doesn't acknowledge his question. Except for one. Well, he, well, he says that's who you, he doesn't answer the question directly. <laughs> he, he, he answers it like a rabbi would answer it. Yeah. Then my my point is that though, then all of these people who would have known the scriptures, the Jews in the crowd, Pilate asks them questions and they immediately answer with what they want. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Pilate's not worthy to be making this decision. I'm not even going to, you know, this is not of this world. Yeah. Yet the Jewish crowd, here's a question I want, I want, I'm going to answer how I want. So just that, yeah. that spoke to me, this question asking and worthy. Well, yeah. And if you'll back up. So you know that's that that's you know that that passage in Isaiah he he is silent, right? And so that's that's where the the gospel writers are picking up picking that up from. If you go back, let's see where is it? I think fourteen sixty one. He remains silent. Is that where you're trying? No. Well, yeah, fourteen fourteen sixty one. Yeah. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. So in the first trial with the Jewish religious leaders, he does the same thing. He's not answering the questions until, again, the high priest asks him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? He answers it. I am. So keep that in the back of your mind. And then the only question that he answers, kind of, with Pilate is a similar question. Are you the King of the Jews? He will answer that in Jesus' way of answering it, right? You have said so. That is his. That is Jesus' way of being in agreement with Pilate's question. You have said so. But then he doesn't answer anything else. Okay, so his, in my version it says yes, it is as you have said. Okay. So that, that was kind of, to me this is a, you said it, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's perfect. No, I am saying yes, I am. Yeah, that's perfect. You nailed it, Kurt. That's it. But I think what but the, the key thing is is <laughs> that that Mark's readers would have been in tune with is that I am who I say I am. I am the son of the living God. I am the blessed one. I am the king of the Jews. I am all of these things. And then the crowd says, uh-uh. We'll take Barabbas' way. I mean, I guess that makes sense because that was their conception of what the Savior was going to come do. He was gonna Certainly. Be it was going to be that, that David type. Yeah. Mind, mm-hmm. Clear the path and get rid of the Romans, not... You know, power through submission type. Yeah. Let me show you in light of what Joey's, what time is it here? All right, about done. All right, flip over to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. 
so important. Talking about the king, David, David the king, doesn't use that name, but that's certainly what they they mean. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Then go back. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, and now I'm going to pick up verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will give the nation your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possessions. Verse 9, this is the key one. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. That is the Barabbas way. Okay? That is how uh, Barabbas and the insurrectionist and certainly a vast majority of, of uh, Jews and Israelites during Jesus' day would have believed that this is how the Romans are going to be defeated. Flip over to Revelation. Revelation 12. You, keep, you probably need to keep your finger back there at Psalm 2. Help me find it. Right there. All right. Dragon about to give birth to uh, a, a woman. Clothed with the sun, stars under, uh, uh, moon under her feet, about to give birth to a child. This is very apocalyptic, uh, a vision that he's happy, having here. About to give birth to a son, a male son, and verse five. She gave birth to a son, a male child. This child is certainly Jesus, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Hmm. What else do y'all have there? I've got, we'll rule all the nations. What do you have? That's right. What, do you have anything else? Yeah, that's the one I was looking for right there. So read the whole, read the, read, pick up in verse five and read the whole thing. Me? Yes. Uh, she will give birth to a male child, one who is to shepherd all the nations with a rod of iron. All right. She- that, that's the best translation right there. Who will shepherd all the nations with a rod of iron. How different is that from what? That is a quote from Psalm 2 with a tweak. What's the difference? Crushing the nations? Isn't that what it said? Dash them like pieces of pottery? Or shepherding them. What do you want? Because Jesus will give you eventually what you want. Will we allow 
Jesus, to be Jesus in our lives, on Jesus' terms? Or will we seek to make Jesus into our own desired image? That is what is at stake here in this passage, especially relative to the crowds. The crowds no longer want Jesus. They want Barabbas. His heart is broken again. What other questions do you have? I could ask, is the writer of the book of Revelations, the the writer of the book of Revelation, being inauthentic? Being, by making that little switch, quoting from Psalm 2, yet changing it. I mean, I think that's John who maybe finally at his old age he, he knows he gets it. Yes. That, yep. That we our people were wrong in our presumption of what the Messiah would be. It's good. So let me try to shift the mindset one last time. Very good. Very good. Gary. What do you think of this surge of Thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of people protesting against Israel, basically, in our own country, just out of nowhere. Right. What I, what, what do I think about it? Or what do I, what, what should we do about it? (laughs) The nation's rage and the people's plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed. Are we followers of Jesus? Are we going to maintain our faithful discipleship to Jesus who lays down his life for the nations? That's, that's what's at stake here. Are we going, are we going to get caught up in, in all of this stuff? And, you know, have you, I'm sure you've heard it. The end is near. The end of times are near. How many times have you heard this when things have fired up in Israel? Our whole lives, right? Well, the end is near, but probably not in the way that the world talks about it, right? That's a rabbinical way of not giving you an answer, Gary. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, what are faithful followers of Jesus to be about? following in the ways of Jesus and being supportive of everyone who may need to come to him, right? And uh, that's what I want us to be about. Um, I guess what, what burns in my my mind and my heart is that we've got this uprising of people anti-Semitic. It's terrible! It's awful, Gary! It's awful! To uphold that, we the believers. I mean, where are the, the counter protests? Where are the counter? I do not understand. I do not understand why people are so opposed to Israel. I do not understand why people are opposed to Jews. I do not understand it. It is heartbreaking to see this. There is no doubt about it. And it, uh, I'm. Unlike you and everybody else, I completely cannot fathom why, especially after we had 
concentration camps. Yeah. The death houses. I mean, and there's pictures of it everywhere. Where, where, where do these kids? The teachers. But see, those kids well, deny yeah. that, they deny that any of this even happened. No doubt. No doubt. It's, it's terrible. It's mind-boggling now. Yeah. You know, so, like, I like I wrestle with this in my mind, like, ever since this has happened on October the 7th, I, I desperately want to know as much as I can about the history of all of this. Fact of the matter is, after all of this happened, in, after World War II, the United States was still a very anti-Semitic place. Oh, yeah. Uh, Roosevelt. Yeah, it, terrible. Like, I, I love All in the Family. Any other All in the Family? Uh, it's so, it's such a good show because, like, Archie Bunker is deeply, this is the 1970s, is deeply anti-Semitic. Oh, yeah. All right? And, and so why, like, it's like, we got to unearth some of that stuff in us. You know what I mean? Why, why has that been part of our legacy as Protestant Christians uh, to be anti-Semitic? And it, it, it seems like that that's definitely turned in the evangelical church, for sure. There's a lot more support of Israel. If it wasn't for the evangelical church in the United States, Israel may be in a lot of trouble, right? And so, but why, why is that the case? And I guarantee you, you faithfully follow Jesus in this way, you're next. Yep. I mean, if you read, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Y'all may, if y'all were in church on Sunday, you heard me say that. It was just, it's like a one-off statement, but it is so true and we gotta go. That the book of Revelation, the primary purpose of that book is not to foretell the future, but it is to teach us how to maintain our faithful, the faithful following of the risen Christ in an unfaithful world. We are living in unholy times. Israel, not with, what's going on with Israel, notwithstanding, what is going to be the, are we going to give in to the pressure of the culture? Or are we going to trust our shepherd to lead us? Right? So battle is not against people. Say that again. Battle is not against people. Amen. Spiritual forces of wickedness that are behind all this. And don't tell me that there's not. There is. Wait a second. Wait, wait. Times here in Mark that we're talking about, the crowds yelling, crucify him. Those people weren't deeply religious. They they weren't deeply committed to following God. They, 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 they it was a mob scene. No, I, I would disagree with that. I, I, they're, they're most likely in town to celebrate the Passover. That means that their their faith is probably pretty deep because they make they make that trek all the way. Uh, and so. The, the, the exact makeup of this mob, how big this mob is, we don't really know. But we, we do know the literary device that Mark is using, I think, to try to draw us into the story and ask ourselves the question, are we going to trust Jesus, the one who will be crucified, or are we going to trust Barabbas? 
Which one do we want? I think that's what the, the text is trying to ask. Well, that's, that's why say they, they want to follow Barabbas. That's where I feel like they maybe not as deeply committed to following God. I see what you mean, yeah. In today, people How, that's how people get manipulated into killing and slaughtering babies. Is is that you're doing this in some way for God? That's the only, that's the only way you can do that, right? It's 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 outrageous. It's not just that. I can't Adam who could stop in the oven. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. It's beyond anything I could. I think stuff like Y'all are very chatty today about all this, yeah. This is probably why our founding fathers developed a constitutional republic instead of a straight democracy. Yeah. The mob rule is not nope. the best thing. Amen. Ever. But, but I think it's very real because the parallels here seem to be parallels that we're facing today. I mean, you've got Pilate. You've got our president. Who's to say that tomorrow he's going to do something totally anti-Christian? Well, my goodness, one of the things that I have been surprised by is how how our government has spoken so decisively against this. It is it has been surprising to me. I'm like listening to the Secretary of uh, Golly, the Secretary of uh, Secretary of State. Early on, I was like. You're really saying this stuff? I was I was blown away. And so hopefully there are people in our government that know what's going on and are gonna continue to pursue for pursue for the right thing. I hope so. Lord Jesus, have mercy. I think what we witness is um, so what they do is they see how far they can press and then they back off just a little bit to keep the people appeased. And then they wait, and then they press a little further until it's the new normal, until they approach sure. that much sure. on your spirit and on your soul and on yep. your Christianity and your faith. Yeah. And it's just that, that constant pushing. Yep, that's a good point. Good point. And that's why it's so critical today as Christians to go vote. Sure. That yep. All right, guys. No, Kurt, you don't vote again. Next year. Very, very challenging times. Jesus is our king. And we follow the one true king. In every, in every way. Um, let that be for us. Let's pray. Father God, being in that crowd in 30 AD, Lord, I pray that we would all have responded differently.
But Lord, as the crowds and the news and the powers of darkness of this world yell and scream and holler, Lord, I pray that you will give us the courage to stand firm and to trust that where you lead and where we follow will be a place that not only brings us life, but brings life to this hurting and broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.